Good morning. Oh, you brave few who came out during the frozen days here. Uh, awesome. All right, so a couple of quick things I want to remind you of. Um, next week, I'll be joining uh, pastors from all around the world as we talk about the process of biblical sexuality. And I've been mentioning this to you last, I uh, mentioned it last week, I mentioned it this week. We're doing this specifically because of the law that is being passed in Canada that actually started Friday, it started on the 7th, um, making it basically not legal for pastors to talk about God's plan for the human body for marriage and relationships. Um, so uh, John MacArthur has asked pastors from around the world to take the 16th of this month and actually speak on that specific topic in solidarity. Now, we do this with no malice, with no hatred, and no anger towards anyone who chooses the lifestyles that we'll be discussing. The process is actually really simple. It's basically this. This is God's plan. You know, we live, uh, we live in a world where people have the right to choose what they want to choose, and you can choose to live your life however you want, but that doesn't make it right with God, and that's what we're, that's what we're trying to bring to light. You can do anything you want. You have the choice to serve God and to do things God's way or not. Um, so that's what we want to we want to bring that truth forward. And as I said, there's no malice towards anyone, but the reality is we don't get to choose what God's standards are. He tells us and we obey. That's the way it works. So uh, that's going to be happening next week. Um, and as I mentioned before, parents, I'm not going to be overly graphic, but I will be to the point. Um, so just keep that in mind. Um, I would encourage you, if you're thinking of keeping the kids home, um, to think about that because they're getting the other side of this conversation in school. Uh, and they're getting it without your consent, and they're getting it without your approval of the curriculum, and they're getting it for 200 days a year. Uh, so think about it. They need to hear God's side of this. That's my perspective, and uh, I'll let you make the choice from there. Uh, okay, so today we're going to be doing a message that I do every year around this time. It's a little bit different every year, but the title's the same. It's Thinking Back and Looking Forward. Uh, I try to start the beginning of the year uh, with a a little bit of a grounding as to who we are, what we're doing, where we are as a, as a church, as a people, um, as a Christian congregation, as part of the world church. Uh, it's good to take a look back so that we can get an idea of where we are as we're moving forward. You know, And as I look back on 2021, one of the things that comes to my mind right off the bat was 2020 wasn't that bad. <laughs> You know, it's uh, it was a, it was an interesting year. It had its good moments, it had its bad moments, and it had its horrible moments. And that's just in Washington. Um, if there's ever a moment for us to be putting our faith in the Lord, it's now. It really is now. When you just look around, and see what's going on. Um, but that being said, like I said, no matter how difficult things get, and no matter how much we want to forget what was, we, we really need to pay attention to what was, so that we can have hope for the days ahead. We need to pay attention to the decisions we've made and the paths that we've walked so that we have a better idea of decisions we want to make in the future. When we take the time to look back over the past honest, honestly with a degree of humility, God is always faithful to look with us. Um, we can take time to remember our successes, our blessings, our challenges. And uh, one of the things that I learned that I learn every year is that God is so much more faithful than I am. If there's anything I, I can, can take away every time I look back at my life and 
uh, uh, and, and times pass, is that God is so much more faithful than I am. And I think that's something we always need to remember because when we think we've failed too much to be redeemed, that's when God really steps in and shows us how faithful and how merciful he really is. And sometimes we have to get to the end of ourselves before God can even begin. And I think that's part of the plan. It's amazing how faithful he is if we just get out of his way. So today we're going to be taking a quick look at that and reminding ourselves of how important it is to stay focused as we look forward. So if you think about looking back over the last year, we had some pretty interesting days. You know, I'm not the oldest person in the room, um, but I'm, I'm starting to bump up against 50, which I hate, you know, uh, it just, I hate it. That's just, just the way it works. You know, uh, when you start watching commercials that you used to make fun of and you're like, hmm, you know, <laughs> it's, it's not a bad idea. You know, it's, uh, you, you start weighing things a little bit differently. You know, when you get out of bed and you think, what was that noise? <laughs> Me, you know, it's, uh, it's, just, it's, yeah, silly, silly, silly things. Um, but I can say that I, I, I can easily say, and I've talked to, to other people who have been around a little longer than I have, that I've never seen days like today. I, I've never seen things like they are today. And I, I hear people say this a lot. I really wish we could go back to days before COVID. And that sounds so good, like 20-somethings and 30-somethings say, th- say things like that. But I want to go back to the days before 9-11. You know, people today, people in their in their in their twenties and thirties today, really have very little idea of how good things were before that. Like that was the catalyst that started so many different things. It was so nice to be able to walk into the airport without basically having to get undressed. You know, and you could just walk in. It was fine. It was no big deal. You didn't have to approach to get to the airport five hours early. You know, and bring a lunch because you couldn't afford anything in the in the uh, in the airport terminal. It was so nice. The way life was before then, I would love to go back then. But you know what? We're not there. And the idea of going back to that is a pipe dream. Those days aren't coming back. We are here, and we are today. And so we have to wrap our minds around that, uh, as no matter how difficult that really is. But, you know, I've never seen our country, our nation. Our nation has always had problems. You know, you'd have to be blind and really not paying attention to, to not realize. Our nation has always had problems, but we've never seen problems like we see today. You know, when, when you think about government overreach, you think about social engineering, which is what's going on right now. You think about the pressure on race relations, the gender identity argument. You get so many people working so hard to be offended about anything and everything and everyone all the time. You can't do anything without being offended. I mean, what is it? Our Secretary of uh, uh, Transportation said that our roads in the country were racist. He did. He actually said that. Like, are you serious? Like, that's where we are? Like, that's where we are? As a country? I mean, it's, it's insane to think of how hard we're working to damage ourselves. But what's more discouraging is knowing as you're looking around, you can do very little about it. It's the reality. You can do very little about it. Uh, it's, it's the, we're riding this wave, but that doesn't mean we have to let it control our lives. It doesn't, need, doesn't mean that it controls who we are. And that's, I think, where it's important. So you look at things outside the church. We have all this stuff. Probably the biggest thing that we're seeing is this gender identity argument. 
And uh, I mentioned to you earlier in the year some of the crazy things that are going on in our world. Over the last couple of years, I've watched a 60-year-old man get adopted by a family so he can live the rest of his life out as a six-year-old girl, and, and they're calling him brave. Um, last Earlier this year, there was a, a, a major online company that hired a director of basically community conversation. They policed the conversations within the chat rooms in the organization. This particular person was a biological male who identifies as a female. Fine, that's what he wants to do. That's fine. But not just a female, a female deer, D-E-E-R, as in Bambi's mom. And everyone's doing this. So brave. So brave. No, 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 I'm sorry. This is where we are in our, in our world. Like, this is what the world is coming to? This is what we're celebrating in our world? I mean, there's, there's got to be a point at which someone goes, I'm sorry, what are we doing again? You know, like I said, no malice towards these individuals. They need help. But the problem is the other side of the equation, what should be the sane part of the world, is clapping their hands, talking about how brave these people are. This is where we are as, as a country. Honestly, as a world. And you got things like COVID, which has given us a wonderful bag of fun for the last two years. I'm not going to get into it today, but all I'll really say is that I trust Fauci and the CDC about as far as I can throw the moon. I have more people talking to me about what, 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 what should we do, what should we do, what should we do, and all you hear on the news is follow the science, but you, you, you think, I don't, I don't know, I think all, they all failed science. I'm pretty sure they, they, they don't, that they don't actually understand themselves. These are things, these are actual things that have come across the news from these organizations in the last year. Mac, masks work. Masks don't work. Keep your distance unless you're on vacation and you're rich and a politician. The shot will fix everything, but you'll still be able to get COVID, spread COVID, end up in the hospital with COVID, um, and natural immunity doesn't work unless you have it because then it's awesome. These are conversations that have come out of these organizations that are supposed to be helping and guiding us. And then the doctors who are trying to give you treatment that is, we'll just say, alternative are losing their licenses, being put in jail for curing people, for helping people. This is where we, this is where we are. It's awesome. It's awesome. And most of our nation is, I'm sure most of you would agree with, is so fed up with this that they don't, they've just stopped listening. <laughs> they just stopped listening. Are you supposed to wear a mask? Don't care. Don't care. If the, I hear this in people a lot. If the store wants me to make, wants me to wear one, they will give me one. But other than that, I don't care. They're just so tired of trying to figure out what they're supposed to do today and what's going to, you know, what, what's, what's going to be the catastrophe today? You know, what's the, what's the emergency du jour? And it ends up being nothing because they can't change their mind. I've seen stories change in one day. This is what we're supposed to do. Never mind. Totally had that wrong. That's awesome. That's just outside the church. You want to talk about a reason to start seeing a counselor and getting prescription medication to try to ease your depression. That's just outside the church. Inside the church, it's been a different story. Uh, the last couple of years, especially last year, Christianity has had a very difficult year. We've had a very difficult year. We've come under assault from around the world with laws coming into effect that limit what we're allowed to preach from our own pulpits, what we're allowed to believe and think. This is the idea. This is called social engineering. We all saw this coming, so we shouldn't be surprised about it. I mean, and we know it's going to get worse before it gets better. And by better, I mean heaven. <laughs> 
At the same time, within the church, you see denomination after denomination falling away and letting go of biblical truth. And almost all of that falling away and letting go of biblical truth is around one topic, biblical sexuality. It's almost all geared there, which is the strangest thing because it's so clear in Scripture what we're supposed to do. But society says no, and the last thing you want to do is tick off the people who are bringing money into the church because that's obviously who we serve, right? I don't know if I've ever been accused of catering to people for money. (laughs) It's usually the other way around Uh, because I don't care. It's not our goal. It's not what we're supposed to do. We serve God. He takes care of the rest. COVID's effect on the church itself has been really interesting, sad, depressing, but you know what? It's also been very helpful. COVID has actually been very helpful in, in, in a bunch of different ways to the church. I'm going to explain to you why in a second. It seems like the, the, the vice that COVID has put on the church and the government has put on the church around it has allowed people to do one of two things, either given them a reason to go or a reason to press in. Now, really quickly, for those of you who are watching online, this is not directed at anyone. If you have not been able to come back to church, this is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who have used this as an excuse to just simply get away from the church. Because I've run into quite a few people like that. So please understand what I'm, what I'm talking about. Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying, please. Um, so you got people who, who are looking for a reason to leave. It's fine. Um, some, like I said, sadly, were just waiting for an opportunity that made it simple. And COVID really made it simple. You know, you got to stay away for almost a year and you, you develop a pattern in life. It's great. I'll watch a sermon online if I want to. I don't need the community of the church. It's fine, which is also a lie. Uh, other people get fed up and offended for one reason or another, and they end up, and end up walking away, and that's, that's a choice that they have to make. In either case, the only decision for a mature Christian is to put that person in the hand of God and let him take care of it. That's the only decision that a mature Christian has is to leave them in the hands of God and let let him direct them. Because basically a couple things are going to happen. Either he is using this as an opportunity to move them someplace where he needs them, and we don't know. He could be using their frustration to move them to a place where he actually needs them. Or he may be using this to teach them something they need to learn. We don't know. Either way, it's in his hands. He's got control over that. So our best option is to love them, care about them, wish them well, and let God do the rest. Right? We don't get, we don't get upset and mad, and we don't, we don't belittle them. We don't think badly about them. We trust that God is in control because he is. But on the other side of that, you have, you have people who took this as a reason to push in. You start to see what's going on in the world around you. And not just people who were already in the church. I'm talking about people who had previously walked away from the church. Maybe for a, a thousand different reasons. Maybe you, got, maybe you uh, uh, grew up, got out, of, got, out of, uh, got out of the habit of going to church, started your career, went to college, ended up not actually connecting with the community of faith, and it just became part of your life. And now you see what's going on in the world, and you're thinking, I need to get back right with God. I see this happening constantly. And it is awesome to see it because people are waking up to what's going on around them, and knowing they need something bigger than they are, something more profound than they are. They need a direction that is not just for the here and now, but for the, for the eternal as well. 
And so they're, come, they're turning, coming back to church. And at the same time, people who have never pursued faith are suddenly waking up and saying, there's so much stuff going on. I, I, I need, to, to, I need to, to seek after God. God is drawing people to himself. And it's amazing to see. It's really amazing to see. Like I said before, it's amazing how faithful God is if we just get out of his way. But now the question for us is, are we ready to receive those people? The people who are returning because they've been gone for a little while? Or the people who have been seeking God for the first time? Are we ready to receive those people? Now, we've had a couple of years of being under the vice. We've had a couple, couple of years of being under that magnifying glass and being squeezed and being pressed. And there's quite a few. And believe me, I understand. There's a lot of us dealing with depression. There's a lot of us dealing with fear and anxiety. We don't know what's going on in the world around us. There's things happening family-wise. I mean, career, the economy, all this stuff is going on. And at the same time, God is bringing people back to the church. And we've got to ask ourselves, are we ready to receive these people with any degree of love and hope? I think we can be. We absolutely can be. But that doesn't mean we pretend to be perfect. You know, people come in and go, oh, through this entire thing, my faith has just blossomed. I am more amazing now than I was ever. No, you're not. You know the only person who believes in your Facebook and Instagram life? You. (laughs) No one else believes that that's true. I think one of the most powerful things that we can do as Christians is let people see the messiness of our lives in the church. Let them see broken people. Let them see people struggling to walk through and hanging on to God while they're doing it. When people come in, allow them to walk through the messiness of your life with you while you walk through the messiness of their life with them. Instead of, well, I don't want people to think that my life's a wreck. Your life is a wreck. (laughs) So why hide it? You see, you can't help someone fix something that you don't know is broken. When people stay quiet about things, when they keep them to themselves, they end up being bitter, angry, and resentful for no good reason. And usually, because they've spent so much time having the argument. Have you ever done this? You have an argument in your head with someone? You never actually talk to the person about anything that you're arguing with them about in your mind. But you've gone through it so many times, you know exactly how the argument was going. And they were so rude rude to you when they talked back to you in your mind, not actually in person. But they were so rude to you, you will never forgive them. (laughs) Jerk. How dare they not say that to me, but say that to me in my mind. Can't believe they would be like, this is what we do. That's the devil. That's the devil dividing you over nothing because we're refusing to do things God's way. Today, even in the church, we're dealing with all kinds of different stresses, depression, depressions, and anxieties. And I would encourage you as we walk forward that you keep your pride in check. None of us have it all together. Keep your pride in check and walk with a degree of humility that Christ has given us all. That we're all broken. We're, we're all in need of a Savior. We all need to be redeemed. You might not like the choices that some people have made over the last couple of years from government down. And you know what? You may have been right. You may have been absolutely right in what you thought they should do. Totally. But I'll guarantee you the majority of the time you were wrong. So was I, by the way, because we don't know everything. 
here's something I'd rather see. I'd rather see people pull together and support one another within their mistakes than allow the devil to divide us in our arrogance and pride as we try to put up a pretense of who we might be. No one likes a pretentious Christian. So as we look forward, there's some things that's important for us to do. No matter how much we want what was, we are here and life is what it is. So as Christians, what do we do from here? Even with all the nonsense that's going on around in our world, all the stuff that's happened in the last few months, last few years, what do we do from today forward? See, because you can't change yesterday. You can change your opinion about yesterday, but that's all you can do. You can't change anything that happened in the past. All you can do is start today and move forward. Now, I can't give you something that's going to fix all your problems. There's no red or blue pill here. But I can give you a roadmap that I think will help. And we talk about this every year, and this is our church mission statement. Our church mission statement is to be a loving example of the living God for a watching world. Three simple parts, and I want to break those down for you quickly to help you get an idea of how maybe God can use you and help direct you. My hope for this year, so the title for this year, the theme for this year is What's on Your Mind? And you heard me talk about this before. If you have a topic or a scripture verse that you'd like me to deal with, you get to pick the sermon topics that I deal with for this year. There's a couple things that I'm going to be doing because I had already pre, uh, pre-arranged them for my, uh, with, with myself, but you get to pick the topics that I'm going uh, on this year. And my hope is for this year that we spend the year, well, that you spend the year working on you, working on your personal relationship with Christ, your faith. What it, is, what it is for you to worship, what it is for you to pray, what it is for you to read, what is it for you to connect with God? And I mean outside the church. Sunday's easy. There's, there's nothing difficult about Sunday. You come, we sing to you, we preach to you, you really don't have to do a whole lot other than drink some coffee and have some cookies. Well, today it'll be hummus, but still. Hummus is pretty good, just saying. So if you think about the first part, to be a loving example, who is our greatest example of what it means to be loving towards one another? Jesus, right? And we think about that. You think John 13, 34 through 35 says, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That is so awesome. It's so, I mean, what we really need to do is form a hippie commune. Uh, you know, we all just live together and we just love one another right now. Dun, dun. Anyway, you know, so some of you have the song going through, Shirley has a song going through her head right now. <laughs> now, let me ask you something. What's love? Not what's love got to do with it, but what's love? <laughs> we have a, when we hear the word love, we need to love one another. We automatically have a picture in our head. Now, I want to show you some examples of Jesus's behavior. Remember, Jesus is love, right? He is love. There is nothing that he does that is not within the definition of love in a biblical way. And what he's talking about right here, love one another. So check this out. John 2, 13 through 17. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem In the temple, he saw the merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw the dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip 
from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle, scattered the money changers' coins all over the floor, turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples went, Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures, passion for God's house will consume me. So loving. Luke 9, 39 through 41. An evil spirit keeps seeing this is, this is, this is a boy, a, a demon-possessed boy brought to Jesus because the disciples couldn't do anything. Now listen to the way Jesus talks about this. He says, an evil spirit keeps seizing him, making him scream. It throws him into convulsions, and then he foams at the mouth. Uh, 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 it batters uh, him and, har- and uh, hardly ever leaves him alone. I begged your disciples to cast out the spirit, but they couldn't do it. Then Jesus said, you faithless, corrupt people, how long must I be with you and put up with you? Um, thank you. Praise God. Um, that's, that's awesome. Then he said, bring me your son. How about this one? Luke 9, 59, 62 says, he said to another person, come follow me. Then the man agreed, but Jesus said, Lord, uh, but then he said, Lord, let me first return home and bury my father. And Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Then another said, yes, Lord, I will follow. But first, let me say goodbye to my family. Jesus told him, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. What? I just want to go say goodbye. You know, my wife's expecting me for dinner. I just want to go tell her that I'm following you. No. You're going to follow me, follow me, but you don't get to turn back. Okay, thanks. I'm just going to go home now. Matthew 16, 21 to 23. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hand of the elders and uh, the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. And he would be killed. And on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside, began to reprimand him. I'm trying to figure out how you reprimand God for saying such thing. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. This is the loving, caring, everyone wants a hug. Here's a teddy bear, Jesus. So let me ask you something. One of the biggest complaints about the Christian church is that Christians are not very loving. Here's the problem. When we hear love we swap the word out for the definition of acceptance. Today, love means to accept and embrace as good and righteous, no matter what it is. That's not love. That's not love. If you love someone, you'll love them just the way you are because Jesus loves us just the way we are. And you've heard me say this a thousand times. Yes, he loves you just the way you are. No, he's not going to leave you that way. Here's the reality. When we come to Christ, we don't get into heaven as we are. We get into heaven as he will make us. We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, trusting that God's word is true. He's serious. He's not kidding. We will change to conform with his way, not ours. 
You see, you can accept anything you want, but that doesn't mean God will. (laughs) Just embracing someone as they are is not necessarily love. You accept them as you are, but our goal is to make them as he is. Can you see that? We take somebody, no matter where their life is, no matter where life has brought them, no matter what they're struggling with, doesn't matter if it's alcohol, drugs, pornography, homosexuality, pick something, it doesn't matter. They're welcome here in this church, but I'm going to go after them to change them to what he is. All are welcome, but your sin must go. I don't have to drive it out of you, but I'm going to teach you what God says about each situation, and God is going to weed it out of you if you will allow him. That's the goal. That's love. That's what love looks like. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6, look at this. He says, an open rebuke is better than hidden love. An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. So let me help you understand what that looks like. Wounds from a friend is, look, I know where you are. I know you feel that this is who you are. This is not right with God. And you are not right with him. You will not enter heaven this way. You cannot keep doing this and convince yourself that God is okay with this. I love you too much to tell you otherwise. And I will walk through this, helping you back to the righteousness of God, if you will allow me. That's the wounds of a friend. Here's the kisses of the enemy. This is the devil. You're fine just the way you are. If God is really love, he'll love who, he'll love who you are. If God really loves you, he's not going to try to make you into something other than who you are. Those are the kisses of an enemy. You'll be fine. Don't fight. Don't, it's, it's good. It's good. Just surrender to your natural instincts and all will be fine. Those are the kisses of an enemy. But the wounds of a friend are different. They're a lot harder, though. You ever had that one friend who came at you and you thought the relationship was over and what you realized was that they cared about you so much that they risked ending the relationship to help you out of where you were? That's a friend. That's someone who actually cares about you. They're going to tell you, you're screwing up. I'd rather have those people around me than 10,000 people who agree with everything that I say. I would honestly wouldn't even know what that last part felt like, but it doesn't matter. You need that. Check this out. First Corinthians 13. Everyone loves this at a wedding, right? Listen to this. If I could speak in the language of earth, uh, languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging, clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all God's secret plans and, and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but did not love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I did not love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and love is kind. There it is. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It doesn't keep any records of being wronged. Listen to this. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins. We don't like that part because that puts something on us. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, always endures through every circumstance. 
Love will walk through the crap of your life with you to help get you out of it. That's what love will do. Love is also going to say something like, you do realize where you are, right? This is the emperor has no clothes. Yeah, don't, don't you know, you, you got a blind, you're on a mountain, you're on a mountain trail, and you're looking at a cliff, and you see a blind guy walking with a cane over to the, to the side. Why he's up there, I have no idea, but it works for the story. You know, he's, got, he's walking towards the edge of the cliff, and, and you start to say something, and your buddy's like, no, 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 don't say anything, don't say anything, it's rude. You might insult him. But he's walking to, don't, ah, ah. we need to be, we need to love him just as he is. You see, that doesn't work. The loving thing would be to do would be to tell the person that they're about to walk off a cliff. We should make sure that our love is kind and merciful to those who are in need. But let's not make the mistake of loving someone straight to hell. Did that sink in? Let's not make the mistake of loving someone straight to hell. That's the last thing I want. Last thing I want to hear from God was, why didn't you tell them? You were around them all, all the time. You were constantly with them. You never told them. You never explained to them about me. She were to be loving examples. And a loving example of the living God. Can anyone tell me where Muhammad is? Dead. Can anyone tell me where Brahma is? Dead. Confucius? dead how about pelagius most of you don't even know who it is that's fine he dead what about the apostle paul dead what about jesus of nazareth very much alive very much alive sitting at the right hand of god waiting to return to claim his church that's the difference we don't serve a dead god we serve a living god we serve a god who is with us We do not serve a man. We don't serve an ideology. We serve the one true God of creation, the ruler of life and death, the God who spoke the universe into existence, walked the earth as a man to redeem his creation back to the creator. He died on a cross to pay that penalty for our sin. Then he rose from the grave because death has no hold on him. That's the God we serve. We don't serve some wimpy God. We serve the God of everything. Christianity is not a behavior. And Christianity is not a set of rules. Christianity is a relationship with your Lord. It's a relationship. We don't hope to meet him one day because we can experience him every single day. We don't hope we meet our God. We don't hope that we make the cut at the last minute. Boy, I'm such a screw-up. I'm going to go through my life, and hopefully right at the last minute before I take my last breath, maybe I can cross the line, and I get into heaven, and I'll be able to see who this Jesus really is. That is not what we do. We serve a God who walks with us every day, who is constantly at our side every day. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. Check this out. I want to read you an article. Well, actually, i got two two, uh, pieces of scripture for you. And then I want to read you an article that might surprise you from an atheist. But check this out first. Psalm 139, 1 through 12. I know it's a little longer than I would normally read, but you've got to to hear this. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. 
You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I, uh, when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape your spirit. I can never get away from your, your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the, uh, by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in the darkness, I cannot hide from you. If you ever think that you're alone, if you ever think that the living God is not walking with you every step of the way, you're believing a lie, and that lie is a kiss of an enemy. We need to tell the devil where to go. And we believe this for a watching world. Check this out. This one's easy. There is no faith, no other religion, no other religious teachings that has ever done more to change the shape of the world than Christianity. Nothing has ever changed more, uh, done more to change the world than Christianity. Check out this article from an atheist. The name, the title of the article, the atheist is Matthew Paris. This came out uh, a number of years ago. Uh, he's a very famous atheist. The title of the article is this, As an Atheist, I Truly Believe Africa Needs God. We talk about the world watching us and watching what we do. The subheading is missionaries, not aid money, are the solution to Africa's biggest problem, the crushing passivity of the people's mindset. What he did is he looked over Africa and he looked over the world and he saw that everywhere Christians were, everywhere Christianity has, has, has planted itself, society changed. People began to hope for the future. They began to, 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 uh, uh, to yearn for something better. They began to work harder. Their families began to, uh, husbands began to treat wives better. Families were being raised different. Kids were being raised different. Standards started coming into the, into the nation. Now check this out. This is one paragraph from that article. It says, now a confirmed atheist, because this, this guy grew up in a Christian home. He was very disillusioned with the church, but this is what he's saying about it. Now, as a confirmed atheist, I have become convinced of the enormous contribution, sorry, there should be a space to this, not one giant word, that Christian evangelism makes in Africa, sharply distinct from the work of secular NGOs, non-government organizations, what that means. Government projects and intentional aid efforts, these alone will not do. Education and training alone will not do. In Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts. It brings a spiritual transformation. The rebirth is real. The change is good. Isn't that amazing? This is the perspective of an atheist. He sees it everywhere Christianity goes and is actually practiced righteously. The nation changes. The country changes. It's amazing. If anyone wants the article, I'll leave it up here and you can take it. I have a computer copy in my office. The world around us is starving for truth and hope. We have an eternal hope. And the only real lasting thing, the only real lasting truth there is, is Christ. If we're not living the truth in our own lives, then it is irrelevant how much we want people to accept the truth from us. Because they don't see it in our life. So you have to live it and walk it. 
It has to be present in your life without you saying a word. If you want to be a light to the world, if you want to be an example, a loving example of the living God, it has to happen without you saying a word. Because if you have to, if you're in a situation, you find yourself in a situation, you've got to stop and think about how should I act as a Christian in this situation in order to be a light to that person, you're already off. You're already wrong. If you have to choreograph your faith for certain situations, you've got to stop and consider what your faith really is. Faith should be natural. Faith should not require that much thought. We should just simply be the Christians we are. And that doesn't mean going off and firing the gospel six guns at everyone who, who, who says something you don't like. That's not what I'm talking about. We should have wisdom. But at the same time, it shouldn't be that difficult for us to know what to do in a situation. Especially if we read our Bible and we pray and we listen. We know what we're supposed to do. We just have to decide to do it.